What's going on? Welcome to the Greatest Mixtape Podcast. My name is Eric. And I am Mac. And we are two longtime friends that have uh, bonded over music and decided to create this podcast that we're bringing to you today. Yeah, from the first time we met, music was all we talked about. It uh, brought us together when we were kids and uh, still something we love to do today. Absolutely. We uh, we decided to call this the Greatest Mixtape Podcast because when you think about it, life is like a mixtape. No matter what you're into, music, movies, books, whatever, I mean, it all mixes together. And uh, we love all kinds of music. So everything from, you know, classic rock, heavy metal, the stuff we grew up on hip-hop, blues, alternative, punk rock, industrial, you name it. If it's got heart and soul, it's got some edge, it's got some talent, man, we are, uh, we're all about it. Yeah, man, all these different forms of music peacefully coexist in our world, uh, and we know the right song at the right time can, can change everything, you know, for the better. So simply stated, music is life. For sure. So, uh, yeah, hang out with us for a little while. We hope you enjoy our little conversational mixtape here. To kick off this uh, series, let's uh, start this episode. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, when we first met and uh, this journey began. Let's do it. All right, dude, are you ready for the flashback? Dude, I am so ready for the flashback. So let's go back to 1986. Uh, I move into town and, uh, you know, I'm a Yes, we're that old, by the way. Yes, I'm a shy, (laughs) shy 15-year-old. And I wound up meeting Eric through a couple other friends that I'd met as soon as I got into town. Yeah. And uh, as soon as we met, we just connected and we bonded over music. And I was definitely I was in awe, Eric, of your your knowledge. <laughs> and you know, you had you had the long hair, you had the jean jacket with all the patches and shit, right? I loved just, patches, man. Oh, the patches were the best. And I was like, <laughs> man, this fucking guy. Um so you know, we start hanging out. And to me, that that was that became my school of rock was that's awesome, man. Hanging out with Eric and going over your parents' house, right? And we'd sit in your room. Yeah, yeah. You had a stack of albums, and to that point, like you know, I sure I had you know Pyromania, I had 1984, um, but I also had you know you know John Cougar and Jake Giles (laughs) Band. Like I wasn't. Brian Adams, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> I wasn't fully into you know the '80s sort of metal scene, but I starting to dip my toe in it. My first, you know, Crew album was Theater of Pain. I didn't know nothing about Shout Out the Devil or Too Fast for Love. I didn't, you know, that wasn't even part of my world, right? That just but blows then, my mind, man. Yeah. But you know, part of it was just being a little bit behind. The other part was, you know, my parents wouldn't allow. Anything in the house titled, you know, Shout at the Devil. <laughs> Even though it's saying Shout at the Devil, it wasn't saying Hug the Devil or, you know. Everybody hold hands with the devil. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but still, just the imagery, you know, the pentagrams and the flames. Yeah, man. And, yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> so, um, but we start hanging out and you started getting me into the, the history of some of the music of the band, their earlier work. And then going back further beyond some of those 80s bands and exposing me to early ACDC, you know, the Bon Scott years, Let There Be Rock, first time I ever heard that album was sitting in your room. Yeah, dude. Um, and you started playing, you know, Kiss albums. Like, you know, you gotta hear Kiss Alive. You, know, you were just floored that I'd never heard any of that stuff. Um, so that's how it all began for, for the two of us, for those those years sitting together and listening and you just kind of sharing this knowledge with me and getting me up to speed uh, on all things metal. It's so cool that you remember it that way too, man, because like, to me, like looking back now, 
like I was a total noob myself. Like to you, I guess I seemed like I really knew my my shit when it came to music and and compared to, you know, you, the years that followed, I knew nothing at that point, man, but I was but I was putting it together. All, all I knew is that I just I loved everything about it. And as is like small town kid, man, I just uh I just worship that, you know, and uh, and and I I grew up with two older brothers who who were I mean they liked music but they they were they were just kind of into you know popular rock at the time I remember like hearing you know like Aerosmith and um, ZZ Top so I mean I, I had some exposure but they weren't my my brothers weren't into music the way I was like they they liked it and you know they listened to some stuff here and there but um, I had I took that little bit of exposure that I got from them and it just went bananas with it, you know? And, uh, and, and of course kiss was my, that was really the gateway band for me was kiss. God, you know, I mean, you want to talk about a band with image and just that, you know, the, the superhero sort of aspect of, of their look and their sound and their stage show and spit and fire and blood and all that stuff. Oh my God. I mean, uh, you know, to be a kid in the seventies, man, you know, you, you yeah. couldn't avoid Kiss. So um, again, yeah, it, it's 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 cool to hear you kind of talk about that with with that you know lens of, of your memory. You know, because again, to me, I was like, man, I didn't know shit either. But but it was cool to the little bit that I did know, man. I was more than happy to pass on to somebody yeah. like you that that was you know maybe a couple years behind me. You and know? what what Kiss was for you, Molly Crew was for me. Like that was the band that. Yeah, that, that once I really started digging into them and, you know, listening to because you know, those first two albums, you know, Too Fast for Love and Shot the Devil. Oh, my God. Just, just they're still great. Dude, they are still heavily in my rotation. Um, and, and I don't say that just because, like, Motley is on this huge, like, resurgence right now and all that stuff. I mean, those two records, is, I, I, I love the band. I'm not going to say that they've never had a mediocre record or whatever right. i mean yeah but right. uh but i mean dude honestly those first like four or five records are just fucking ridiculous they're just so good yeah and like you said it was the image it was not only oh, yeah. the whole la scene the whole you know sort of everything that came with that but you know the, the black leather and you know flames and shit yeah grams like that you know i bought in Matt crew was the one that got me into that style of music yeah totally totally and they just did it better than anybody else. I mean, let's yeah. just be honest, man. If you go back and they were the ones that really, I, I can't say started it, but they brought it to a level that nobody had done before. Yeah. You know, they, and they took all the influences, you know, you had your New York dolls, you had your sex pistols, like even wasp, they were kind of doing that, but Motley took all of those elements and rolled it together. They weren't a, they weren't a dolls knockoff. They weren't a Sex Pistols knockoff. They weren't a I'm trying to think of another like Glenn Sweet or right. you know one of those kind of bands. But they took all that and, and and smashed it together and churned out this new thing. And man, it just it just worked so well. And and they were that band that from album to album could morph just enough that it didn't get boring. But yeah, the first ten or twelve years of their existence, I mean, they were able to. You know, every album sounded just a little bit different than the one before, but it never got, it wasn't, it wasn't forced. It wasn't trite. It wasn't boring. Um, they just had something super special, man. And in, in just thinking about, you know, me at that time, you know, afraid of my own shadow, um, 
So some of the more that aggressive music scared the shit out of me. So <laughs> even like you know, Motley is tame. You know, you compared to you know your Slayers and, and you know Metallica. Yeah. Oh yeah. But still, at that point, that was the most aggressive music I'd ever heard. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And it, and it scared the shit out of me because you know, I, both based on you know the way I grew up and the music I listened to, like I was still listening to mostly my dad's music. Yeah. You know the you know the Bob Seger and, and, and you know all that stuff. Um. Which again, I still listen to a lot of Seeger. But Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, but that's what I kinda grew up on was listening to my dad's music. So not only did my parents hate <laughs> that eighties music, that eighties metal, they hated sure. that shit. But yeah. you know, that's when I started to not be so scared. The music kinda once I got past it that it didn't scare me, it kinda gave me a little bit of courage. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then it I also saw that my parents fucking hated it. I was like, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that, that's a sure sign that you're doing something right as a as a rock musician that, you know, when you're pissing off parents, man, you, you're going to have a good career. You're doing something right, at least in that moment. So, um, yeah. And, and, and getting back to the, um, you know, being scared thing. And I think that's what. And, and I think it, to this day, it still does. I think any any kid that gets into music that's a little scary and dark or movies that are scary and dark or books or whatever it is, man. Um, there's, there's this, it's almost like a funny bone or something that gets tickled by that. Just like, Ooh, it's a little scary. Ooh, it's a little evil. Or Ooh, people might be scared of this. It's, it's not even so much of you're scared of it. It's like, Oh, does it scare other people that I'm into it? And we, I think our generation definitely had that, but I think just we, we, there's a certain type of kid that really draw is drawn to that. And we were definitely those kids, man. Yeah. You know, to me, that's what I love. The, I remember even going back to Motley Crue. I mean, yes, Kiss was my first exposure to that kind of music and that theatrical level and all that stuff. It was a little scary and stuff. But as I got a little bit older, I realized, okay, these are just four dudes with some makeup on and, and whatever. And then when Motley came out and I, and I said, cause my first exposure to Motley was really, um, was Shout of the Devil, as most people. I mean, unless you were like an L.A. kid, like Too Fast for Love really didn't break nationally. Yeah. It was, you know, Shout that did it. And I remember seeing that sort of, it, it's an iconic photo shoot uh, now where they're all in this like room. Nikki Six has the white warlock base and they just have blood splattered all over them. And it looked super gnarly on this white base with a bright red blood driven out. And that was like, I remember seeing, I don't even know, honestly, if I had heard Molly at that point, but I remember that photo shoot and seeing those pictures. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And it was terrifying, but so cool at the same time. I'm like, I don't know even what these guys sound like but i love them already and then i heard it and lost my mind they felt dangerous yeah absolutely you know like you, you as much as i i still to this day i listen to acdc every day they didn't feel dangerous yeah you know yeah, yeah. motley motley felt dangerous you know when you saw sure. their pictures and you saw them live and some of the crazy shit they were doing and like this band is you're gonna get yeah. me in trouble just from listening to them yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, and, and, you know, yeah, there was this, uh, one of the pictures from that photo shoot was like Nikki Six, like licking the blade of a switchblade just covered in blood and shit. And I was just like, what? These guys are fucking maniacs. And, and while that may seem hokey by today's standards, you know, in 1984, 85, like that, and we were kids, we were, te we were early teens, like, that was, you didn't know. I'm like, do these guys really like stab people and shit? Like we didn't know what was going on, man. You know, so that added to that whole like, you know, fascination with that kind of music. Um, 
so yeah, man, I, I totally get how, you know, you, you just, you get sucked into that, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, you think about crew, so we're carrying on with our story here, right? And girls, girls, girls comes out, you know, they do the tour. I've never been to a concert. I had never been to a concert at that point. And I, you know, Again, I really, I have to, I, I have to remind myself sometimes that this is a podcast, not a YouTube, because I'm sitting here grinning, and I'm like, wait, nobody can see me grinning because I just, <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm so excited to hear where this is going. But yeah, so, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm scared to death because I don't know what I'm getting myself into. But we're going. You, your other <laughs> friends, and your older brother, he's, he's going to drive us. Yeah. So to shout prepare. out to Tim. Yeah, hey, shout out Tim. Uh, sort of prepare. For the concert, because again, I'm scared shitless. I don't know how loud it's going to be. I don't know what. What's gonna be. <laughs> I'm at home, right? I'm laying on the floor with both speakers <laughs> on my stereo, this inches from my ears, to see if I can take it. Like I got it juiced all the way up, and I'm just laying there and just okay. I can do this. I can do this. I can handle a concert. Like I, that's how I trained, for dude. The, for the concert. Oh my god, dude. That was like that's like you like doing like wind sprints before like a big game or something like you're like blasting your head off with your stereo speakers <laughs> laying on your floor <laughs> that's amazing dude i, can't, I don't remember if one of my sisters walked in and banged me like you know what are you doing <laughs> asshole uh, that's fantastic man so oh my god day of the, t- the day of the concert comes right yeah and I've got nothing to wear, man. I, no, wait. Just, just for for a refresher, this is it's Motley and White Snake, right? Snake. Was there a third, or was it just? No. The, I think it was the two, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, two. yeah. Motley, man, White. God, what a what a show! What a fucking show! Um, so day of the show, you know, I'm nervous. I've got nothing to wear. Like all I have are like white t-shirts. I don't own. <laughs> I don't own any black. You know. Right. Right. So. Like a Nike shirt, maybe, or something. (laughs) You come over to pick me up. You know, you and your brother can pick me up. And you take one look at me, and you're like, oh, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) So it was the cheesiest move, but you're like, I got to do something to this shirt. Turn around. So you turn around, and you grabbed, grabbed like, a pair of scissors from, you know, like, the drawer in (laughs) in my kitchen. And you put like diagonal slashes down the back of my shirt, and, like ripped them, ripped them open. So I had like, <laughs> it looked like I had like a ripped shirt, like or some kind of bad. You know, clean cut, like it's never been washed yet. So they just oh totally my god, clean. right? There's nothing frayed at all. It's no, just completely nothing, nothing like. <laughs> just so I would but look again, look like as a tool. <laughs> And again, I mean, for the record, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I looked like a complete tool as well. But I, you know, hey, at the time, I thought it was pretty fucking cool. But uh, yeah, I think I mean, you had like like a concert tee on, like you've been to a show before, like you've looked, you know, the part. And I, here I am in like a fucking white t-shirt. Like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. And I now now it's so funny, man, because like we we talk you know, off the air all the time, but uh, your memory is just way better than mine. And it, it was great because I did not remember that story until you started into it. Now I'm like, Oh my God, I fucking remember that. I remember yeah. ripping your shirt and being like, dude, you got to fucking look a little fucking whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like, 
like Hulk Hogan? Like, what were we going for? Yeah. <laughs> like, slits in the shirt. Like, how fucking 80s is that, man? Did we tie a bandana to something, too? I mean, Jesus Christ. Hulk Hogan slits in the shirt. It's like a macho man. Oh, Jesus. Um, but I, I must have been at the venue maybe 30 seconds before I bought a shirt and put it on. <laughs> and got rid of it. <laughs> I gotta get rid of this shark and get yeah, a shirt that Hogan. Eric made me. <laughs> I don't fill this thing out like Hogan, man. I gotta get rid of this shirt. <laughs> oh my god, that's awesome. That is fantastic. But I, uh, I just re- remember that show, and yeah, we had shitty seats, you know, up. Oh, uh, yeah. Thinking, you know, a couple rows from the top of the goddamn venue. But it just is my first, it was my first show. And I remember first off, like White Snake came out and just fucking killed. They were riding high at that time, right? Oh my god, still that was still the night was huge. Yeah, it was, yeah. Oh, it was just fucking incredible. And he, like we were just talking earlier, Tommy Aldridge was on drums. <sighs> he does that drum solo where he throws the drums away, he just plays with his hands and shit. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's just crazy, right? But then crew, I mean, he got it all. You got Nikki. Spraying the audience, Jack yeah, Daniels. Dude. You got Tommy coming out and doing the solo in the cage and just rotating, flipping around, flipping and, and just uh, fucking explosions and flames and shit. And I just like this is my and life. the nasty habits, dude. That right. was when yeah. they had the first tour that they had the backup singers, these like gorgeous, like just beautiful blonde girls, right. in tiny, tiny outfits singing, right. and they sang like angels too. I mean, they're fantastic. Right. They were not just eye candy. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better show, a, a better presentation, just everything. They, they was, were just firing on all fucking cylinders, man. There was no turning back for me at that point. Like, I'm like, this is, this is the life for me right here. This is going to be it. And it's what's so cool, too, to think about that. You know, you, you mentioned how we, we had like terrible seats, like at, at this age. If we went to a show and we had those seats, we'd be like, oh, God, this is terrible. What the, why did I even bother coming? Dude. At that age, man, it was it was magical. I mean, just the fact that we were in the building seeing Molly right. fucking crew and White Snake and just I, we could have been six miles from the stage. And we I didn't complain once. Been, no, not no. at all. I mean, a we had no idea that we had bad seats. I mean, we didn't even know what a good seat was at that point. But I mean, just to be there in that moment in that building, and you know, it was again there was that sense of danger because we were young and it was, you know. Rock and roll was so rebellious and scary and all these things, but exciting at the same time. And, right. you know, we didn't know if we were going to get into a fight or a chick or like it's just all those stupid things that run through your head when you're a teenager. You know, we needed we needed an older brother to get us there. We like, did. It, it almost feel like we, you know, are we supposed to be in here? Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we had imposter syndrome being there, you know, <laughs> my God. And so. So if that was that was eighty six, we decided that was eighty seven. The eighty seven. So okay, so we were turning six. So yeah, I mean, we depending on what month it was, we we probably weren't even driving yet. Some of us, right? right. Well, you were because you're later in the year. Yeah. So my brother, again, man, shout out to my brother, um, four years older than me. Yeah. So we were sixteen. He was twenty. And hanging out with us, but hanging out like right, dragging our ass to a fucking concert. Like we must have paid for his ticket or something. I mean, um, we got gas, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) God bless him, man. Because I mean, he should have been. You know, I'm not hanging out with my stupid teenage brother and his buddies, but right. God bless him for doing it. We still go to concerts. Maybe we're talking about this up here. He and I still go to shows. Yeah, Tim's great. 
Yeah, no doubt. Man. Um, wow, that's so, amazing. Yeah, that, like I said, that that was the moment that uh, <laughs> I, I knew. I knew. I'm like, this is it for me right here. I'm, I'm sticking here. Hell yeah, dude. Um, but then you think about what else was happening at that time where you had that sort of underground thrash scene brewing as well. Bubbling, sure. You know, it, you know, because I'd see the kids in school with the fucking Slayer shirts on. Yeah. And, and you thought I was scared of Motley Crue. Like, that shit scared the living daylights out of me. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Oh. And then, and shout out our friend Bob. I had Bob making me a tape. A Cinderella. He was recording Cinderella for me. Long Cold Winter. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, but he hid a little Easter egg at the end. Nice. Of the recording, he put on Peace Cells by Megadeth. Sweet. I remember listening all the way through to my Cinderella, digging the entire thing, and then one of these downs Right, that bass line. Oh my god. And I was like, what is this? And I remember calling him right away, like, Bob, what what is that last song? What was that? And he just started laughing. He's like, you're never going to guess, man. I like, just give it to me. He's like, dude, that was Megadeth. That's fucking awesome. And I was like, whoa, I need more of that in my life. Like, now that I've heard it, because up to then I hadn't heard it. I was just afraid of it because it looked, you know, the people who wore the yeah, shirt. Yeah, yeah, sure. Army, you know, like, I'm scared. Yeah. Then once I heard it, oh, and that was the song that got me into the even heavier stuff. Like, that was it. Sure. I didn't even listen to the Cinderella on that tape ever again. Just like skip cared, right to fucking like peace, cells. peace cells. Hell yeah. Yeah. So, and then, you know, eventually, then, you know, Metallica, much later on, you the video for one comes out. And then, but like early yeah. Metallica, again, I, you know, I see friends walking around with, you know, Master of Puppets shirts, you know, on the back with the track listing. I see shit like, you know, Leper Messiah. And I'm like, I, I don't want anything to do with these fucking guys, man. This shit's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, like I didn't even get into Metallica until the one video hit. And that's when I saw that. I was like, oh, I kind of get it now. That's like, amazing. All right. Yeah. So it, it, it took me another decade to even accept Slayer. Like, I, <laughs> like it was. I mean, I will admit, even though, I mean, you keep giving me credit for being ahead of the curve, you know, in comparison to you at that point. But Slayer, yeah, Slayer took me a minute, too, man. I'm not going to lie. I, 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 I embraced Metallica and Megadeth before Slayer. Um, because, yeah, early, early on, Slayer scared the shit out of me, too. And, and again, here's a kid who's like an Amali and all the demonic imagery and all that stuff and everything. But um, I think by the time Slayer kind of entered my, my atmosphere, I had figured out that Motley weren't really serial killers and, you know, that yeah. stuff was not real. And then Slayer comes along and I'm experiencing it all over again because I'm like, these guys may be for real, though. Like, they might actually these, be these kill people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas Metallica and Megadeth, I never really got that. I I, yeah. I, I, I dug what they were doing and I was like, yeah, these guys are kind of fucking hardcore and all that shit, you know, but I, I they didn't scare me. Slayer gave me nightmares at first. I'm not going to lie. Um, so it did take me a little, a little while longer to warm up to them. Um, but yeah, Metallica and Megadeth, man. I remember I, I went to a technical high school where um, the vast majority of the the kids that I went to school with were uh, like dirtbags, man. I mean, for yeah. lack of a better term, I went to school with a lot of fucking dirtbags, and dirtbags listen to you know heavier, aggressive music, and so they they were always. Uh, at least some of them were, were always looking for, you know, 
oh, well, ACDC doesn't piss off my parents enough anymore. What what else can I find? And so that's where my exposure to some of these more hardcore bands came from, you know, and that's where I was hearing like Metallica for the first time and Megadeth for the first time and Slayer for the first time and bands like that. And and, um, again, yeah, Metallica and Megadeth, I kind of warmed up to pretty quickly. It was funny because... Now we have so many like labels and subgenres for for metal. Right. Um, back then it was like if you had long hair and you were in a band and you played distorted guitars, it was you were metal. So a lot of us listened to Motley Crue, White Snake, and Poison and Rat, but also listened to Metallica and Megadeth and Anth- Anthrax. My God, I mean, I was a huge Anthrax fan in high school. So basically, we had long hair and distorted guitars. Man, it was it was game on. Now the bands themselves had issues with each other, right? And, you know, you remember the Metallica video where they're throwing darts at the poster of Kip Winger and things yeah. like that. Um, they didn't necessarily like each other or, or whatever or or respect what each other was doing. But, like, as a kid, as I mean, I had, like, you talked about, like, the patches on my jean jacket. I mean, I remember I had Metallica patches and Cinderella patches on the same jacket. Man, I didn't care if it was thrash or what we now call hair metal or, you know, anything in between. And then the scene kind of fractured after that. And then it became like, okay, you were either a poser or you were a thrash kid or, you know, a punk or, you know, whereas, man, like when we were like 15, 16, man, it was just kind of like, dude, if it had some edge, whether it was Poison or Metallica, you kind of dug it, you know? So it was, I, I don't know, to me, it was a lot cooler. And I think that that set us up for a wider acceptance of music later on in life. Because like you and I, especially like from our, our core group of friends, like you and I, especially were were more accepting to other kinds of music, you know? And I think that served us well because we were, we were kind of that way in the, in the beginning, even though we were kind of like mainly listening to rock, we listened to a lot of different kinds of rock. So then when like hip hop started to become popular, a lot of our friends fought it. You and I were kind of like, no, nah, dude, some of this shit is fucking cool, man. And right. there's, you know, we could appreciate the artistry to it and the, the edginess to it. Um, even though it wasn't distorted guitars and fucking loud drums and things like that, right. it still had something that, that we gravitated towards. Um, and you know, then same with like a lot of the, what was the beginning of the alternative bands, you know, the Jane's addictions and bands like that. Like we yeah. were drawn into that because we could appreciate what was going on and we, and we were accepting of it. Whereas like, man, a lot of those kids, they got stuck in that metal thing, man, and just never got out. Never got Classic out. rock thing. Or, man, I mean, there are people that we grew up with that just never got beyond like two or three bands. Right. And to this day, that's still all they listen to. I'm like, my God, like, that's like, that's like watching the same two movies over and over again in your entire fucking yeah. life. So let's talk about one more band from the late eighties. All right. I remember, I remember where I was, who I was with, where we were going when I heard Appetite for Destruction. Oh my God. For the first time. And we talk about a band that the second we heard that dude, we knew like, shit changed. Holy shit. We didn't realize it at the time, but it was kind of like, I, I don't want to, I, I hate, I, I hesitate to compare him to Nirvana in the sense that like Nirvana kicked open a door and, and, and exposed a light to an entire scene of music that people weren't familiar with yet. Guns N' Roses didn't do that per se. They were kind of at the tail end of a movement, but they just took everything that was, they, they dumped all the pretense. They dumped all the glam and glitz of it. And I'm not saying they didn't, you know, early in their career, they wore makeup and shit like that. But I'm, I'm talking just musically, they stripped it down and they fucking punched you in the face. They, they, they were truly like Aerosmith 
and the Sex Pistols had a bastard child, and that's what you know. And yeah. maybe like maybe the Ramones were in there as part of a weird gangbang or something. I don't know, but like they they just synthesized that whole thing and just took the best parts of it, the sleaziest, dirtiest, grittiest, you know, real part. They, they weren't so much about the cars and the chicks and the drugs. And all that. They were about the drugs. But they, oh, were, sure. they, were about, they weren't about the party aspect of the drugs. They were like fucking Mr. Brownstone is about like doing heroin and fucking, you know, right. people dying. And, you know, they, they weren't they weren't talking about they, they weren't nothing but a good time. You know what I mean? They, right, they yeah, were yeah. they were talking about the real dark side of that shit. So. Um, yeah, in hindsight, I mean, it kind of was like a Nirvana in a sense that like something so huge seemingly came out of nowhere. Well, and, and you think about how young they were, right? Yeah. Yeah. In their yeah. Mid twenties. And they're writing I mean, songs. That, yeah. They're writing songs that, about that hard life, you yeah. know, in your mid twenties. Yeah. Like they, like they'd lived, you know, 50, 60 years. Sure. Lyrics about what they were writing about, what they've been through. Yeah. But you write like just the grittiness. It was so dirty and just everything about it was so stripped down like the second you heard it you're like man i don't know if i can listen to dudes with teased up hair anymore like this is so raw yeah it did and and it's funny you say that because it did kind of kill that like i don't they didn't kill it but they were definitely beating the shit out of it (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? I think maybe like Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden came along and like stomped on its head for the last time and took its yeah. last breath. But um, Guns N' Roses, yeah, they, they were kind of beating that scene to death already. And they were killing something that, that uh, quite honestly needed to die at that point. Yeah. I mean, it had run its course. It, it had gotten, you know, as over the top as it could get. And, you know, anytime the pendulum swings that far in art, whether it's music, movies, books, yeah. visual arts, whatever, anytime the pendulum swings that far, man, it's got to swing back. And, it, and it's it's got to do it in a way that just fucking destroys everything that came before it. And they, right. they did that, man. Yeah. Even though they came from that, you look at the really early, like, yeah, press yeah. photos and shit, and, you know, you listen to the demos and stuff. They were pretty glammy, and, you know. Yep. But I think, I think part of it was, I think they realized, they looked in the mirror and were like, we're too fucking ugly to be poison you know what i mean yeah. like they knew it yeah and uh and, and it just wasn't them anyway man i mean doug mckagan was like a straight up punk like yeah. he's a seattle punk like yeah the fact that he even ever wore eyeliner blows my mind but you know he he came from that um and and so yeah i i don't even though they they did it a little bit in the beginning man i don't think they were ever that they they were they were destined to be something bigger than that I'm pretty sure one of Duff's previous bands was called The Farts. I so, believe so. <laughs> shout out, shout out to The Farts. The Farts. <laughs> <laughs> but, My but God. You're, but you're right. Everything had gotten so watered down at that point. It has. Everyone's playing with the ballads. And yeah, just, oh God. Oh, the, just, but even just all the aspects of like the, the sort of, you know, the partying and the over the top and, you know, the, you know, the, the chasing the girls and all that. Like, it was just enough. Like everybody pretty much had it by then. So, yeah, like you said, yeah. like, Guns N' Roses was beating the hell out of that scene. And then, you know, the Seattle bands came in and just finished it off. Yeah, man. No, Guns N' Roses. And, and again, man, I don't think we didn't appreciate at the time what we were witnessing. But now looking at it through the lens of history. Wow. We were there for that, man. I, yeah. I remember, you know, again, anecdotally, I remember being in high school and, and almost immediately when I heard Appetite for Destruction, I was completely in love with this band. And I, I bought 
back to the jacket, I bought a full back patch. And it was oh, the yeah. album. Yeah, that. it was that yeah. album cover with the skulls and the cross, you know, and it's the appetite for destruction on it. And I had it on my jacket and I was an underclass. I don't remember what grade it was, but sophomore maybe. And uh, I'm walking down the hall in school and a senior, some douchebag jock senior, like smacked me in the back of the head and he's like, Guns and Roses, you know, stupid death metal shit or some dumb thing like that. And I was just looked at him like, are you kidding me right now? Like, you don't even like they just he saw skulls on the back of my jacket. Thought it was like death metal. I'm like, shut the fuck up. But at the same time, as angry as that made me in the moment, I felt awesome about that. Because I'm like, that's right, you big dumb jock. I'm part of something that you're not. And it, and it, and I think we we reveled in that, man. And that's, you know, I mean, some of us played sports and whatever. But, but like, it was that dumb jock mentality yeah. that we were rebelling against. And I was like, yeah, I'm glad you hate me for my jacket. Loved it. I, I had the exact opposite reaction. <laughs> I had the, I well, had a year the- later, those same jocks that were picking on me were all on fucking board. So. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I, I'm walking around, and I had the smaller cross patch you know, uh-huh. on, on my jacket, and one of the Slayer kids saw me. <laughs> oh, well, there you go, yeah. And they jumped over me like, oh, guns and posers, man. And I yeah, was like, yeah. I put my head down like, I'm sorry, sir. Just, just kind of walked away before he fucking killed me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, back to that, man. I mean, like, dude, why could, you know, those same people now – I mean, probably listen to fucking Taylor Swift. I don't know. Nothing wrong with Taylor Swift. Um, but I mean, like, it, why? Well, like, it, well, I listen to all of it. You know what right. I mean? And I'm not, like, saying I was super cool or anything, but it just, I never really got that attitude, you know? Or, or there was always that battle between, you know, the Metallica fans and the Megadeth Yes. Fans. Like, oh, my God. Oh, please, can we stop? Both phenomenal bands. Right. So, yeah, just, just silly. Just fucking silly. But... You know who we left out? Uh, we kind of glossed over a couple of key bands that I think deserve a little bit of recognition. Let's talk about Skid Row for a second. Oh, God. Love to me, Skid Row, oh, dude, to this day, I, I got the, uh, the, the, the studio albums. Yeah. Got the box set for Christmas this year. And so I finally have Slave of the Ground on vinyl because it's kind of mm-hmm. been fun. Um, they were kind of the band for me looking back. That kind of bridged, okay, you had your Motleys and your Rats. Like, Motley and Rat were kind of the kings at, you know, that that 84, 85. Of course, Van Halen was in there, too. But I mean, I'm talking about sort of the L.A. glammy, like, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Still had a little bit of a harder edge. Then you started getting your watered-down versions of those bands. And then Skid Row bridged that gap between... You know, then you had your Guns N' Roses come along, but Skid Row was like that, like, okay, we're pretty, but... Not intentionally. Sebastian Bach was just who he was. Yeah. Um, Handsome fella. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty. Downright pretty. Um, But fuck, when Slave to the Grind came out, dude, oh my God. Mm. I remember seeing them with Pantera opening up. Like, they took Pantera on their first, like, major fucking tour. And so Skid Row bridged a huge gap for a lot of us during those years, too, that were still like, you know, I still like a lot of this guitar driven stuff and it wasn't quite as heavy and scary and then when that album came out holy shit but then they still had you know quicksand jesus and and wasted time and these like ballads but they were just so good they weren't the the cheesy watered down 
ballads that everybody right. was churning out every five seconds. They were just so just better, man. It still breaks my heart that they can't put aside their differences and get man, they're leaving money on the table. Oh. I know, and they don't care, man. Right. I've read so many interviews and seen so many YouTube videos where they just they just can't they just can't get along. But uh, yeah, they just can't do it. But it kills me. God, I mean, yeah. I've seen them many times, but I would love to just one more time with Sebastian. God, it would be amazing. That but, intro, monkey business. Dude. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> amazing. Amazing band. Yeah. Still love yeah, everything they did as guy, well. I had a guy the other day ask me about Skid Row, and he says, how come, you know, what happened after the first album? Like, they seem to be riding so high, and they didn't last too long after that. Like, he's not really too well-versed on the history like we are. Yeah. And I said, well, one thing they did that I'm always going to admire them for is their second album was harder than the first. Yeah, dude. They could have come back and just spit out a bunch of hits, you know, yeah. a bunch of weak-ass ballads. Yep. But they came back harder. Yep. And I said, yeah. you know, commercially, that probably hurt them. You know, and it wasn't long after that when things started to fall apart for the band. But Yeah, unfortunately. They probably could have sold more records if they didn't come out so heavy on that second album. But don't forget, Slave to the Grind debuted at number one. I mean, and you're right. They could have they could have released another five I Remember Yous and just right. laughed all the way to the bank. They'd still be counting their money today. Um, but no, I, again, man, I don't think that was ever what they were in it for, man. I think right. they, you know, and maybe again, I, I, I sometimes romanticize some of these bands. I'm like, oh, man, they really meant it. But I, I just feel like they, they it wasn't about. The commercial. I mean, every band wants to be successful. Any band who tells yeah. you that they're not in it for the money, you're blah, 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 you're full of shit. If you wanted it for the money, you would just play fucking music in your basement and never record and never release it. So right. you want to make a living doing this. You want to be successful. Don't lie to us. We're not stupid. You know, it may not be your main motivation, but to say I don't want to be successful is fucking stupid. And that annoyed me about a lot of the grunge bands, but that's a whole other episode um and i loved a lot of that music don't get me wrong but there was a lot of that attitude and i'm just like shut up because when you say you don't care about being famous while you're famous you're pissing on the rest of us that wanted that and never got it right so fuck you yeah. to say that but anyway uh i but I, I really do believe some bands yeah that wasn't the motivation yes it, it, it was part of it but they didn't sacrifice or, or, or bend to the whims of a, of a record label just to sell a million yeah. records, man. They were like, dude, we're going to do what we want. Hopefully people dig it. And when Slave to the Grind came out, they did. So that's yeah. fucking great. Right. Hasn't always worked for other bands. Some bands have tried it and tanked, but yeah, right, right place, right time. Let me bring up another band, a very important band of that era that you introduced me to. I didn't know anything about this band until you turned me out of them. All right. L.A. Guns. Oh, my God, dude. L.A. Guns. L.A. Guns, man. That first album is just stuck so up good. just loaded. Like, Electric Gypsy. I still listen dude. to, like, like fucking, like... Those first two movie. records are really yeah, special, yeah. man. Cocked and Loaded is amazing, yeah. too. Yep. No, I was just, and then, of course, you learn about the history of Tracy Guns and Axl Rose and all that shit. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm Guns N' Roses. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, that whole scene was so, like, incestuous back then, man. So many... You know, you, you learn later on reading up and whatever Metal Edge magazine or whatever it was. He used yeah. to read Circus and all that. Um, <laughs> Kerrang! magazine. <laughs> um, yeah, all these like how many famous musicians from the era played together in other bands when they were coming up. And like, you know, the, the L.A. scene was crazy. Um, but yeah, yeah. L.A. Guns was was amazing, too, man. Uh, and they were super cool, too, because they were kind of 
Again, yeah, they had some makeup and they had some teased up hair, but they were never, you know, you never mistook them for girls. You know, a couple right. of guys might have been a little pretty, but um, they were kind of that grittier, a yeah. little, you know, Dirty, they're a little yeah. sleazier, kind of, they probably they looked like they might have stunk a little bit, you know. <laughs> a little? <laughs> a little bit, you know, chicks dug it, whatever, man. It was, yeah, and dudes dug it too, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, no, LA Guns was another one that, that I, I absolutely love. Um and again, it's funny, man. I, I keep going back to the vinyl thing, but so many of these bands, man, it's hard to find stuff on vinyl. It's driving me nuts. I said when I got into to vinyl a couple of years ago, I said, I'm not going to buy everything that I like because I'll go broke and I won't have enough room for my record collection. But I said, I my, my goal as a collector, if that's what you want to call it, is I just want to own stuff that really means something to me. So the, the, the records I have now, and I've, I'm up to it probably a few three four hundred out of something like that not not an excessive amount but every record in my collection is something that really matters to me you know i don't i don't frivolously buy records and uh yeah man no la guns in my collection mm. one of these days man they'll, yeah. they'll have to repress some stuff because it's just not out there it's hard to find band. Oh, band. so good so good you know they're always playing like the whiskey out in la now and i'm like i gotta just fly out there and do it i have oh my to god and well, and especially, especially since there's still like, if you go see LA Guns now, and, and I think if, if memory serves me correctly, there is one LA Guns now, because for a while there were two. Right. And it was insane. But if you see LA Guns now, the Tracy Guns version, it's Phil Lewis and Tracy Guns. That might be it. But I mean, what more do you really need? Right. I mean, what nice if Steve yeah. Riley was up there or, you know, Kelly Nichols. But um, yeah, for a while, because I think Steve Riley, the drummer, had a version of LA guns. I yeah, think it was I can't remember, yeah. But anyway, the version that's out there now, yes, I would love to go see that. Cause it's at least Tracy guns, lead guitar player and, and Phil Lewis, the, 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 the singer that sung the hits, right. and Jane right. and all that stuff, electric gypsy and you know, all that. So yeah, man, that'd be cool. That, that might have to be a, a weekend trip sometime if, if we can catch them. Oh man, I'd love it. On this I'd love trip. It. That'd be amazing. Well, you said you had a couple others. Well, we never really talked about Rat. I didn't mention them briefly, but Rat was another one, man. They kind of, to me, and, and I'm sure if I did the research, record sales would, would back this up. They were always just a little behind Motley. Even though they came up at the same time, they were all friends. Great band, sold millions of records, was very successful. But I feel like they just kind of were always just a half a step behind Motley. Um, and gun to my head, man, especially back in those days, dude, it was Motley hands down. I mean, yeah, yeah. I would I would have if you said you can only listen to one or the other for the rest of your life, it was it was always Motley Crew. Yeah. Um, but I loved rap, man. They were they were a fantastic fucking band. They were another one of those you know, LA bands that, I mean, 8 million people have been in that band before they finally gelled and, and gained some success. But, um, yeah, rat. Awesome. I, uh, but not in LA. Yeah. Staying at some trendy ass hotel. Wait, what year was this? Oh, this was about 10 years ago. Okay. And, uh, you get to your room and there's a record player, you know, cause they're just trying to be cool. Right. Right. And what album is sitting there waiting for me? fucking second rat album no way <laughs> i didn't even nice i hadn't even unpacked my shit and i was like i'm playing this fucking album and i just sat there from start to finish listening to that album of course oh, you did yeah it was uh, as much as i you know at first i was turned off like i saw the record player i'm like oh god you guys are trying too hard this fucking la bullshit <laughs> and then i look and i see what album they had laid out for me I'm like this place is awesome 
Dude, invasion of your privacy. That's it. Invasion of your privacy. Fuck yes, dude. Thank yeah. you, Google. Um, yeah, amazing record, man. So good. They were another one, man. I mean, like the first four records. Again, they, they're they're possibly one of those bands people forget about a little bit, but but beyond the the hits, you know, round and round and all that. Because now it's selling like insurance or something. I don't know what they, it's in some TV yeah. commercial. Um, but my God, yeah, those first like three or four records were just fucking great, man. Yeah, they're loaded. Start oh. to finish, yes. Yeah. God, back for more. Wanted man. Oh my God. So speaking of Motley. Uh, Nikki Six and uh, and Tommy Lee in the video for uh, one. It was wanted man. They played cops. Like I don't know. One of the scenes are like arresting one of the guys. And I, just so so silly. But yeah, man. Rat Rat was amazing. God, I love that story about L.A. Though, man. Fucking record player with Rat. It was, me, it, was, it was me and Bob. That's awesome. It was our trip to L.A. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that second about. album was the one that had like um, Lay It Down. Was on that? Yeah, yeah. that's a great Is it record, Back For man. More that has that acoustic intro? Dun, dun, yeah, it's Back For More. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Great band. I mean, honestly, man, if you want to, you know, we, we could do the 80s bands for probably 16 episodes if we really <laughs> wanted to do the deep dive. But, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of, you know, sets the stage for where we came from and what we we kind of bonded over and, and, and how we connected musically. And then, and then again, you know, all of our friends, the music was a, was a big part of all of our friendship. But uh, but yeah. again, especially I think you and I really kind of ran with it, which is why we're doing this today. Yeah, you know, we still have right. that that passion right. for it. And from there, like you were saying earlier, from there we sort of just branched out into you name it, every different kind of music. Yeah, yeah, instead yeah. of just staying in that one lane. As we grew, you know, older and, and matured, and our minds opened up, and we just kept always looking for something new and something edgy and it didn't matter what it was it didn't matter who was singing it who was playing it but if it was just edgy and it spoke to us we went with it yeah 100 percent. well I, and i'll just just to tease maybe the next episode a little bit or or uh or the next couple anyway but i i will uh i will get into because again you you're, you were kind of like giving me props for exposing you to a bunch of stuff i, I will get into a couple of bands that uh you turned me on to that i'm still a fan to this day some a little maybe maybe to some maybe embarrassing not to me no. i don't give a shit uh but uh people like to tease me for it and i'm like i don't give a shit they're fucking hey, fantastic it's my life <laughs> that's right and it's not bon jo- <laughs> that was not a bon jovi tease by the way that was <laughs> well on that note yes i think uh there's uh, our origin great. story if you will yeah, if we, we're if we, were, if we were x-men that would be our our origin story All right, so that about does it for episode one of the Greatest Mixtape Podcast. Hope that that wasn't too painful for you. (laughs) (laughs) No, but we had a great time doing it. And, you know, that's just a little taste of what this podcast is all about. Obviously, you know, as we grew older, our musical taste evolved. But that's how we came together. The love of music brought us together. Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, it's just grown from there. And we're going to talk about a lot of really, really cool shit in uh, upcoming episodes. And like Max said, our tastes have changed. They've grown. We love so much music and uh, have so much to say because we're big mouths. That's why we 
started a podcast. Like a podcast. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's about it, man. Check us out again. We're gonna just go deeper into all the different kinds of music um, and the connections that we have to that music, the moments in our lives that the music has meant a lot to us, and hopefully meant something to you as well. And uh, we will be opening up phone lines to you know listeners and and uh, and that kind of thing in the future as well. So uh, be listening for that. That'll be a lot of fun. All right. So thanks again for listening. Uh, I'm Mac. I am Eric. And uh, hey, we're just two middle-aged white guys doing dope shit. Hell yeah. And this is the greatest mixtape podcast. Thanks for listening. See ya.